0: Mary MacDonald is a native of Los Angeles, but she's also a student of the world. So perhaps it is not surprising that she has managed to fuse the exuberance of Hollywood Regency with an indefinable, understated Parisian chic. Her fashion background, her love of drama, and her innate sense of style all come into play in her richly imagined graphic and colorful rooms that are also ultimately comfortable. Yes, her rooms make for great photos, but they also make for great living. She also designs fabrics, wallpapers, trims, and tapes for Schumacher, rugs for Patterson Flynn, lighting for Robert Abbey, and furniture for Chaddock. She has been featured in virtually every major shelter magazine, and she recently designed a dazzling bedroom for the Kips Bay Showhouse in New York. And did I mention that she became a big TV star? I'm so pleased that she's here to talk about her evolution as a designer, her new collection for Schumacher, and recent changes in her life that have her spending far more time on the East Coast. Welcome, Mary.
1: Thank you, Michael. This is fun.
0: This is going to be fun. So, Mary, I would love to start talk, for you to talk a little about your background because, I, you know, I don't know that much about your background. I've always seen you as a full-blown star. So I I know you grew up in Los Angeles, but you were not from a showbiz family. Is that correct? Not a movie no, family? No, not
1: at all. Lawyers and bankers. We did, we did know a few show folk. Mm-hmm. But I'm not... No, not Hollywood at all. In fact, it was kind of un-Hollywood. Like where, I grew up in Brentwood before, it, it's pretty Hollywood now, but it wasn't really super Hollywood at all. It, I'd have to say it reminded me growing up as like a suburb in Connecticut, yeah. it, which doesn't probably ring true for many people now. Yeah, because I think people for
0: people forget that LA, you know, yes, it was always the movies and TV, but it's you know, there's accountants, there's lawyers, there's all kinds of people who live in the city.
1: I guess they do. Yeah. It wasn't even Hollywood at all. I mean, yes, I grew up with people whose parents were I remember when I was little and there was a girl in my class and her name was Louise Dorsey. And my mother <laughs> would say to me, you know, her father is Ingelbert Humperdinck. Now God, I, I had no idea who Ingelbert <laughs> Humperdinck was and never did until I was an like older person. I was like, I think I went to school with his daughter. Did my mom make that up? Her name was Louise Dorsey. And then I looked it up, but I don't know her. I think it was fourth grade. And I was like, he that's right. That is really his daughter. So it was always things like that.
0: Peripheral, kind of, but interesting.
1: Kind of. I mean, they might have been right in front of you, but it yeah. I didn't have a Hollywood family that hung out in Hollywood.
0: Right. Right. So but now you started out in the fashion world and it's interesting, you were you did hats. You were a milliner for a while.
1: I was a milliner, which how did that well, happen? I went to well, um, my mother told me I couldn't go to design school right away. I had to go to college because, I don't know, she just didn't see it as real or something. So I went to BU, studied art history, and then I went to Parsons in New York. Although, funny enough, I never and un- finished, actually, mm-hmm. I, but I studied fashion. Fashion was what I really loved. It actually is kind of my first love. It's such a difficult business, though. I did not intend it wasn't like my dream to be a milliner. I just started doing this thing when I was young on the side as a fun thing because it was the eighties. And when I think about this, it sounds so crazy. Like everybody, it was a fashion thing for quite a few years, five years where people wore hats and it wasn't just, Uh, one person wearing a hat. It was like a big fashion moment where there would be crazy hats that people would wear. So I just started making these on the side. Because I was always creative since I was little, creative with my hands. It was mm-hmm. kind of a fun thing for me. So I figured out how to get a hat blocker downtown. And my friend's mother owned this really chic store she had just opened called Madeline Galay, that sold only European designers, which is which kind of more unusual back then that to import them. Her husband had owned something called Galay which was kind of like Maxfield's in Los Angeles. So there was very few stores like this. And she put them on consignment. They kind of went like hotcakes for some reason wow. because they were one of a kind. And it was really just a creative outlet for me. Um, and stylists started to take them on Photo shoots and they ended up in magazines, and people started calling me. It wasn't that I intended, like, I just want to be a milliner. It just was one aspect of fashion that I happened to do just really organically. Right. Like how people ended and up shopping. this a chef, was after this t- Parsons? Yes. I but it. it wasn't so like, you moved thought back to out. LA.
0: You had moved back to L.A.? Yes, but I did.
1: But uh, yes, when I started this, I moved back to L.A. And this just sort of took off. And I was Mm -hmm. 23. And I was really intending to go get more into clothes, but this just happened and it was working. And like I sold all over. I ended up with a rep and they were really expensive though. I mean, they were like a thousand dollars. They were one of a kind and they weren't all one of a kind after I got a rep, but I mean, I was so excited. I have to say it just, I was in Bazaar and Vogue and I got myself, I I had a profile in Bazaar when I was 23. So you can only imagine. I was just like,
0: you were living wow, the dream. Well, this is like,
1: I was like living the dream. I mean, I have to say, I probably peaked. <laughs> like, I mean, I was so young. So right. that went on through my 20s. And I did also move back to New York. But at the end of my 20s, I was feeling sort of lackluster about it. I was like, this wasn't really, like, and, and, and kind for of a, a niche. brief- you it was know? such a niche, and I wasn't even a big enough weirdo in the niche. It was fun, actually. It was so exciting in my 20s to discover all these things and the fashion district, and there was a millinery district in New York. So I did, I actually lived in New York in my 20s back and forth. Um, but I was a little, found it a little lackluster. I wasn't really wanting to grow it, to be Eric Javits. So I had a few years where I was like, do I just quit this business and go? I I interviewed, I remember, with Buffy Biratella at um, Ralph Lauren because I was friends with Joel Silver, who was the director. I mean, Mm -hmm. keep in mind, I wasn't in Hollywood, but I had so many friends at this point in my 20s that were agents and you know, things are actually easier when you can call someone you know and bring the goods when they open the door. So I had cared about my apartments ever since I was in college. My dorm room, from decorating my first apartment, that's like kind of sad now that I look at it, to really kind of having decorated apartments before people did. Because, you know, when you're young, people just had a futon, but My mother also gave me paintings and so I had help, but I was really willing to do whatever it took since I was young. And I, when my, in my later 20s, I lived with someone that I ended up being with for years and years and we had a house and it was fully decorated, like but I I figured out how to do things on a budget. I was young and I was given antiques by my family. So someone asked me, would you ever consider helping me with my apartment? It was my friend, Caroline Andoja, who was a the PR person for Robert Clerchery, you know, the bag and Uh, shoe person. Right, the shoe guy,
0: right, yeah.
1: And she had this penthouse apartment in the El Royale. If anybody knows, it's an old Hollywood building that kind of has lots of famous people live in it. It's really grand and from the 20s. And she had said, would you help me? And it always interested me decorating. So I had this dovetail thing that was happening because I was always interested in decorating. It just was, I hadn't thought about doing it as a career. Right. So people started to ask me and it didn't take, like, I'd have to say, how old was I? Was I like 35? It was twenties. Well, I'm not even going to let anyone do the math uh, now. I'm just like, oh uh-oh. uh-oh, I'm Fair in my enough. early hundreds.
0: I, I didn't ask.
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, what are you
0: doing? Um, <laughs> but because it, it, it seemed like in the 80s that there was a lot more crossover, that there were people, you could do different things, you know, you could be in the fashion business and then work on a movie, you, you could make hats and then start sort of decorating. It seemed like there was Well, that's this- true,
1: but this was the 90s. Oh, By the time the I already. started okay. decorating okay. for people, it was the 90s. So I had been doing this a little less than a decade, the hat thing, but I had decorated for myself. So I was always working on these creative things that were really just the organic part of it. So what had happened was I did a few decorating jobs and then I had finished this house up King's Road that I really bought to just flip because I lived somewhere else with my ex, but I ended up owning it for 20 years. And a friend of mine, who was a production designer, Richard Sherman, he said, "Uh, House Beautiful called me or House and Garden called me and wanted to see if there's any houses I would recommend them publishing. But I was decorating. I just hadn't figured out like, oh, I'm supposed to be really gung-ho doing this. I was still just trying it. Well, Ingrid Abramovich, we laugh about this. She's always like, I discovered you. And I was like, well, I still had to do the work, Ingrid. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's true. She, right. He sent her in just all these pictures and they ended up putting it on the cover and gave me the Well article. I actually really love this article. Still, it's one of my favorite. It kind of t- turned into something bigger from there.
0: Gotcha. So is that when you started to think, oh, I could do this as a profession?
1: I think I thought it a little bit before because people were paying me, but I was busy trying to figure out, but my aunt was also a decorator when I was little. So I was used to going to the Blue Whale and seeing bags of fabric. Like I remember this as a child, how glamorous I thought these sample bags were. Literally, I thought they were so glamorous. And I remember the Brunschwig and Fee checked bag. It was black and white checked with the red Brunschwig and Fee. Uh, so I had this thought that, well, I can do this. I just didn't really know. I had to learn. Oh, I actually, you know, Key Hall that runs Counting and tout, tout. Of course. Key I would, went to high her. school with Key. Ah oh, Key and I went to high school. For a brief moment, I worked for her mother, Mary Hall. It was just an odd job. I was terrible. Mary was like, <laughs> you're terrible. But it wasn't <laughs> because it was just so I was I was not. I just wasn't very efficient. So I, it was like I'd been exposed to this. And I think I might have called Key's mom when I first started doing this, asking her, you know, how do you mark things up? Like I couldn't, there's so many logistics on it how it works as a business too, that right, has nothing yeah. to do with having good taste or style. Right. Like nothing.
0: But right. And I think people it. forget that. I think a lot of people outside think, oh, you're just at the D&D building going right riffling through beautiful fabrics saying, I want this, I want that. But of course, as we know, it is a business. It's a complicated business, you know, billing and shipping and all that boring stuff.
1: It's really more that than anything else right, is right. really what it is. Right. So you better just enjoy right. that little bag of fabric that right. seems so chic right. in the on the front end.
0: Right. So now when you were starting out and doing, you know, starting out doing your friends a uh, places and people were starting to hire you, did did it seem to you that you had to come up with your own aesthetic? Because I think of you as having a very particular aesthetic. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it has evolved and we, we'll talk about that. But I think, you know, it was kind of like you took tradition, sort of gave it a boot in the ass. You know, you brought in a lot of color, you brought in graphic elements, you know, I, and and was that something deliberate or was that just an expression of your personality you didn't think about? Well, Both. It's
1: mm-hmm. deliberate. No one mate. There is. There are particular things that people consider my style, but they're really not only my style. They just happen. The things that seemed iconically me—not to make myself an icon, but just say mm-hmm. I, you know right. iconic to just right. me—were something that I was feeling at the time. I wanted to do. I wanted to see these bold, graphic. Um, overscaled floors, in particular, something overscaled with something traditional like florals. It was just actually what was organically happening for me, and the only reason people got to see it is there are a select group of people that let me do it. My entire career, I've had people that just want such a teeny bit of it that... I always have my filter. I can only work through my filter, but I'm really more catering to what they want.
0: Right, of course, the client is is crucial. You know, you've got to make the client happy.
1: Yeah, people don't, there's not a, there are people that say do your thing, but it's really, to me, that's kind of unrealistic. I don't even want to just do my thing because they'll be shocked if they're not part of it. Right. And I want them to be happy with it. But the most open people get kind of the best result because I can actually be creative. And you do the things that I can do that are specifically me best. You know, people sort of have a look that... Might define them, but they might have such a broader range. I, I, I have right. other work. People just don't think of it as mine.
0: Right. No, I understand, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole you because I, I, I know you've done some very understated, elegant houses. I, I mean, I, but I do think that people think of you, and and in this age of social media, even more so, people look at the the very. That's why I said your rooms aren't just for making great photos, but you know, you do look great on Instagram. Your rooms, and I think people sort of think of well, that thank that you. way. Um, but I am you, a little
1: dramatic. Do a yeah. I do I am a little dramatic by nature. Mm-hmm. I like things that look kind of like movie sets. You right. know, I see people people's work where it's so tasteful and so pretty and just subtle. everything is subtle and patrician, but it just stays that way. there's right. no oomph. I, I personally want I gotta throw in a weird pedestal and urn. I like things that are out of a movie. It, like an old movie, but that's an actressy side of me that right. wants to be like, let's let's make this glamorous, right? Ka- kind of like I always really want to throw a ball gown on, but I'm kind of sturdy, so I could get on a tractor. It I don't doesn't make any sense to me either. Right, trust me. Because I was going to
0: ask you if you look to the movies, and I, you know. Where do you get your inspiration? I mean, I I think of you as sort of that glamour of, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies, a little Dorothy Draper, those kind of elevated aristocratic country clubs, you know, sort of graphic things. So, Were you aware of that at the time? Did you do homework? Did you get research? Or was it just something kind of instinctual that moved you in that direction?
1: Well, I kind of grew up around old school decorating. Mm -hmm. So I grew up around marble urns on pedestals in different styles. Like my grandmother was very, she was actually pretty uptight. But she had sort of, I kind of grew up around some of it. And some of it, I was a much more, willing to stand out kind of person than the women I grew up around. Wasn't so about
0: fitting in. part
1: of it was just what I was exposed to. My father is British. So we would go to Europe when I was little. Since I was little, I went into castles and things that were not really like limiting in kind of an American local way. Right. So I think it was kind of I didn't intentionally pick one thing, but I was always drawn to, even since a little girl, I was drawn to things that seemed kind of magical and glamorous and tale ish So I can't say there's one thing. It's not like, oh, there's this one movie. Once something is very dramatic, even, even when I look at something as just tasteful and masculine as Bill Blass, there is something dramatic about the commitment in his apartments and homes in a very masculine way. I, I use the word glamour, but it's not really glamour. I don't know what a masculine word for that would be. Um Well, I, th- I think it was. Guess it's
0: thesaurus. You know, like Bill Blass. <laughs> I mean, those rooms, they were studied. They were comfortable, but they yeah, were studied and they were it was presentational in a way, you know, everything was in a perfect spot that you just made you see it. And even though the fabrics were subtle, the colors were very subtle, it was like sculptural. They, they were like, it was like an installation in a way. So in that sense, it was dramatic, you know, it was definitely thought out. I think out. it might
1: be that. You it, know? it might be that, but I was exposed to l- books on castles. And I do love a country English, English home that is chock full with old paintings, old furniture, layers of color, molding, but no one really wants that. I mean, right. unless you grew up with that. So right. I would have to say that still inspires me. I have I have a huge library of books, but right. I can just take one element and say, you can have this crazy English bed and then we'll make the rest where you won't be wondering if your neighbors have it. You know, people want to, people want their own thing, but at the same time, they kind of, they do kind of want to fit in. I know this.
0: I used to say, I said, you know, people would say, well, what are you looking for when you want to publish a project? And I'd say, well, you know, most of your, most designer clients want what their neighbors have, but a little bit better. But when you got that client, and that's what we were talking about collaboration, when you get that client that pushes you and wants you to do, go beyond that, that was what the projects I wanted to see. You know, and I think that's just a human thing. Most of us want to fit in, like you were saying. But, you know, people like you, designers like you who push that, even in your own homes and in your work, that changes what fitting in means. You know, suddenly you can have a lot of color and other people have color and they're fitting in, but there's a lot more color. There's a lot, a little, that drama. And I think, you know, I love elegance and restraint, but, you know, after a while it gets a little boring.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Anna Brockway, co-founder and president of Cherish, and I'm here to remind interior designers that our extended return policy is ending on October 31st. For a limited time, Cherish is extending our return window for trade members only from two to a full 14 days. Don't miss the opportunity to access the best return policy in the industry. It's time to get shopping. For more information, visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade.
0: I think that what you do is take those kind of traditional elements and make them very, well, I think very california but in the sense of California as what everyone in America wanted, the California dream that everybody wants. Because you've done a lot of work on the East Coast and all across the country. But I think that you bring this element of, I don't know, indoor-outdoor color, youth, energy that people really respond to.
1: Well, thank you. I i think sometimes I might rely on a strong color kind of unintentionally, it's just natural for me to want to make a... Color is very emotional. It really affects you when you go into a room that's a strong color, even if everything is all the same color. I remember Asante Wolf did... I don't know if you knew this. This all-red uh, room that was at a House Beautiful show house in California 20 years ago, and... You know, he's not known for a color. No, he's
0: known but for he white, actually. But he did this actually. thing.
1: He mm-hmm. did an entirely red room. Every single thing was red in it. The furniture was red. The I think the rug was red. It sounds kind of weird, but it was so magnificent. And it still looked just like him, is right. the weird thing. It right. didn't look like someone else did it. Right. Um, but my point being was that it had a whole different emotional flavor to it because... Of red. I mean right. colors actually really right. do physiologically affect you and your brain and how you see, uh, feel, they bring emotions up, they do things to your neural pathways, certain colors. Um, and I think I probably like the drama. Of, of coming into something that's either so yummy with colors, even so soft, but it's just put together like a painting or just so strong. Um, Is it
0: a harder sell with some client's color? You know, uh,
1: it's a little it riskier. Can, it can be. I had a client where I had to promise I would pay, I would pay <laughs> to paint her living room back if she didn't like it which I don't usually force people like this, but it was charcoal gray, the whole living room. It's a really big room, and the accent was lemon yellow and like creams. And she was terrified of it because it really was dark charcoal gray, but the room mm-hmm. was huge and airy and light with cream t- millwork everywhere. It didn't seem, it didn't really seem heavy. I mean, I I won only because right. it was successful, right. but I, I do have to talk people into things sometimes, yeah. except I have my two Faced makeup clients. They will go for any color. And, and that's they're, what's the they're, most fun. they're
0: featured in this month's um, architectural oh, digest. Yeah. Is that correct?
1: Uh, well, actually, it's El Decor. El Decor. It's El Decor. El Decor. I got that
0: wrong. I should. They how will go that wrong? for yes.
1: They will go for colors. Right. I mean, right. and actually, it's, it's fun for me because most people will let me have a colored room. But that's when it's really fun when someone lets oh. you do things right. that push an envelope. Right. And not everybody does that, so you know. But it's fun having a range of work. I have a client which you'll be shocked that only likes white and natural and,
0: and yet they came. Well to you haven't
1: seen this yet.
0: Mm -hmm. They came
1: to me because I'd worked on historical homes and they lived in a really historical registered home in Palm Beach. It's actually was shot by Veranda. It'll it will come out soon. And it's really like she will she could do a room that has some navy, maybe some chocolate, but she likes all white. So then the challenge on me is. How do I make this? You know, when you're dealing with all white, I think it might even be a little harder because you've got to make things sure. interesting. So you've sure. really got to look at silhouettes and textures Texture and, and, and are things and like, sculptural? Yeah. Like what looks sculptural? Because I'm not getting to rely on color.
0: Now, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned travel and that you went to England when you were young because... Like your new collection for Schumacher, which I know your first collection was hugely successful. And I thought that when you came up with those I didn't even know what to call them, like medallions and stuff that you could sew onto upholstery and the edge of oh, curtains. Oh,
1: I know. I never picked up, I called them appliques. Appliques, because I thought that was I so genius. I was like, well, how come no one makes these? Right. It really was.
0: It's I genius. have to say,
1: like everyone came out with them after that. Right. I never did a second one of those, right. although Schumacher makes some real, they're even better now. Schumacher right. makes like better ones. Right. You know, you, when you start with the first pioneering mm. of something, you haven't figured out how to make it like, but exactly I, I what that it
0: was needs to be so clever because it was it was kind of that finishing detail that you know first of all you can't find unless you're uh, at an economic level that you can have, go to lesage or something to get that kind of detailing into room and yet you made it you brought that kind of detailing to a very practical level, you know, with the tapes and trims but and the appliques. I just thought that was so smart. And they were beautiful. You know, you say they're better now, but Thank yours you. were beautiful. But now you have a new collection, which to me, and you saw this in your Kips Bay room, it seems more... European almost like you know the the paper with the shells. it looks like an Italian grotto it's like so what were you what were you looking at there where was it travel that inspired you were there particular rooms or other designers you know because of, you know you have this very successful collection, but you had to expand it so that's hard
1: well actually the this is my third, third. interior that's collection because the true. second one, if you remember was all Like island inspired, you probably you might not have realized it was like it had raffia and beaded trims. I
0: remember that. Yes.
1: First of all, I love a gimmick, (laughs) and I a gimmick is like a cheesy word, but I love a costume. I love a theme. There really there aren't enough hours or days or lines for me to really want to express all the different things I would want to do. So what I came out with for my very first collection, which was really a decade ago, was just things that I had to custom get from people. I had to have custom made, like those super wide trims were something I had to have custom embroidered on, right. a, on a leading edge of a right. curtain. I was like, why does no one make something that is that's kind of like this Holland and Sherry thing that, is, I mean, it's like $600 a foot or something. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things were things that were custom things. I was like, the world needs this. That's why it was so successful. Right. Um, my second collection was really like a fun Tahiti thing because I like. Uh, I just thought this would be Mrs. Howell me- meets YSL in this like, because I'm really more fashion-y is really right. what it is. It's not really one need. I don't have one need. I have m- way more ideas. We have to cut off so many ideas when we go through these meetings. They're so like, okay, you need to pick like eight. You can't right. have 40. So The grotto thing is I, so since I moved to the Hudson Valley half the time, which is not the English countryside, but this house that I live in is really kind of more of an English country house. I wanted to make a grotto room. I've always, I love shells. I did, I used to do like shell mirrors for people that were custom and shell furniture, but kind of glamorous ones, not little shells, big shells. So, cause it was dramatic and theatrical. So I wanted to do something that was, if you could make a grotto room, in wallpaper that really felt kind of like a grotto room. Um, how could we do this? So it would have to look, I studied them all because I actually still really want to do a real grotto room right. that's real shells. But let's just see if I get to this in the next right. 40 years. Right. So that was just it's something I have loved. I was like, I want to do a grotto room somewhere. And then it turned into, uh, this would be a great idea because shells are, I, I feel like you know, everything comes in waves. Now I'm old enough where I've seen a wave and I'm ready for the next wave, just like fashion. So that was really inspired by only antique grotto rooms. It's not even as antique looking as it might be, but that would be so theatrical if I did it like that, that it's not as easy to use. So I even have to pull back on myself of what I might really do for myself to just make it a successful line. Like it it does look European and it it's made in panels, my shell grotto. Um, so that you could cut them apart for ceiling heights. They have different markers. Well, you could honestly make your own decoupage room out of it because of how the panels are set up. Wow. But I did so you are practical.
0: Choose... That's what imp- always impressed well, me about I your don't... marriage.
1: You know what it is? I'm practical because nobody wants to do licensing with someone with something that doesn't sell. Right. Of course. So why would I be doing this? And I don't, I don't, that's not successful. I can make one of a kind things for, that's when you do your own grotto room. Of course, that would of be, course. So, you know, you're a better partner when you want it to sell within the confines of, you know, creativity that you are not, you don't feel stifled. In fact, Schumacher is such a great team to work with for, for anything that has to do with textile and pattern because there's so many experts in their company that if you don't really know how to execute this, someone there will. So your question was, what was my inspiration? A lot of things. I've always liked, I love a floral. I found this rooster, which is really a hen we discovered. So I have this lady hollyhock, we call it, that has a hen in between these hollyhocks that were taken from an old, actually Asian watercolor, and I love a bird. You know, birds are kind of controversial They, from sales point of view. Some people like they don't love a bird. I wanted an old fashioned Cecil Beaton floral that looked like, you know, it might be in an old movie. And I wanted it for myself. Mm-hmm. So I was like, can we just make a colorway that I'm going to use for myself? <laughs> I have to love it so much. I want to use it in three rooms, which is really so silly. Well part of me also feels like as a decorator there's things that are difficult for kind of just the average decorator that's really purely like more decorating they 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 don't they don't want to get mired in this the renovation of things. And so I thought what would I love to see or use that's kind of hard to use and I love portuguese tile. So you know a lot of people will use real tile and do it with a chair rail. So it's just sort of wainscoting in a bedroom. Mm -hmm. There's something very glamorous about it. So I ended up buying 17th century tile and we did a version of that. You know, once again, it's a little dramatic. It's a little theatrical. I like one theatrical element per room. So I can't, it is more European, but it wasn't really thought out, like, this is the Italian collection. It's a little bit grand tour. It was mm-hmm. like, I stopped in England, I picked up a few tiles <laughs> in Lisbon, and then I kept going, and then I hit a grotto, and then I ended up in Sweden with some Greek key things that looked sort of Swedish.
0: A little here, so, there, yep. A
1: little here. A little right. I mean... I'm kind of inspired by that, but I'm really not a purist in any one thing. I'm really kind of a visual, creative person that that can really jump on any theme. Like, give me the next theme. So
0: now you had mentioned, and this I want to find out more because I was surprised. I mean, I have always thought of you as such, I mean even though now we know you did go back and forth to New York i've always thought of you as such an la designer and that's probably because of the power of television and you know million dollar decorators we saw you in la we think of you as an la designer but now you're spending a lot more time on the east coast and how did that come about and and how is that influencing you do you think cuz you bought a house in is it in hudson well
1: well i i've had a boyfriend for a- Past decade that is on the East Coast, okay. so it's was it's constant. You oh, know, back Peter. and forth.
0: Okay, see, okay. So
1: that's not. I I've been back and forth for ten years, but you know, why does anybody care to hear about why that? Well, well
0: you know, so, that, No, I'm not asking about your personal life per se, but you've you're spending a lot of time on around Hudson, we've just did a podcast about Hudson and how you know design centric it's become and how it rescued the town, and I just love to get a sense from you about how that's influencing. Your projects, when working on the East Coast or whatever, are there things for you, like you said, historical homes, working on that, how does that, is that fun for you?
1: I don't, you know, to be honest, I always had the same interest in the predated me being here. I just always wanted a country house. When I went to college in Boston, I... Since I was in college, I always wanted a country house. So that was really what the impetus of this was for me. Peter had lived in Westport, and I looked there. And so I really looked a little all over to land here. And it really wasn't necessarily having to be where I am. I wanted to work on something that had a lot of property that I could work on a little bit every year and add something and add something that wasn't sort of, it was it was something I could sink my teeth into over years. Right. And it has, it has 35 acres. So you can, part of it's just wild mm-hmm. and I want to leave it wild, right. but you know, you could, you can take each space and make an outdoor folly. And so it was really just a personal thing that wasn't about having historical homes. I'd already lived, for us, I'd already lived in a historical home in Beverly Hills. Right. I worked on of quite a few historical estates. Right. I worked in some in other states. So it, that isn't really why. I really wanted to be in the country. right? Like, the country and everyone's really into like what historical home you can find out here. But being early America, a lot of them just look like little farmhouses. Right. And they're adorable, but it's not like the English countryside. Right. Mostly. Right. There's there's a select few that have these yeah,
0: they're rare. amazing
1: old Vanderbilty looking Greek revivals. But
0: do you, are, are you into gardening too? Is that part of the appeal yes. of the country? Okay. Yes.
1: Yes, although I need help. I mean, it takes forever. It takes forever to plant and mulch, and I, it's not that I don't get dirty. But I would never get anything done if I right. didn't have guys that helped me. But right. I'm, I kind of, I'm the one that. It's not that I called a place and said, "Just do it all and show me." I, have been working on it. So, right. yeah, like, yeah, you need help. Ha- I mean, nurseries. especially if
0: you have what 35 acres, you said.
1: Well, I'm hardly, I'm working on just an acre um, of, of course. it. Well, that's a big garden,
0: an acre. That's still, I mean. The, well,
1: I'm just like, saying spots all over, <sighs> but for, there's something about it that is very rewarding right. to me. The house had no landscaping, really. It just, I mean, it had wild and it just had some trees and they just had lawn. There was right. just lawn everywhere. So I've been working on that. I'm super inspired by Weathersfield. Mm-hmm. Do you know beautiful. Weathersfield yes, up here? It's
0: beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Not
1: to. just the just not just the fancy house and all the fancy part, but just the structure of the the different things they chose. And I just recently went to Michael Trapps. Oh, in he's amazing. He's amazing. I, and he and it's not a ton of space, but mm-hmm. he made that so magical with the relief of the height of certain things. And so I'm, I'm into gardening. Great. But, you know, I can see this is something that goes on for years and years, which is actually supposed to be the fun of it.
0: Exactly. It's endless. You're never done. Yeah. Unlike a room, never you could done. finish your room, but a garden, you're never done. It's really You fun. just
1: finish a space and then move on.
0: Right, exactly. And then you have to go
1: back and maintain the space. Right. So, you know, it gets to be more burdensome. Right. I'm in the beginning where I'm foolish enough to just keep starting things. that uh, Hope
0: like... springs <laughs> eternal, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the foolish phase.
0: That's great. So how much time do you spend on the East Coast versus L.A.? Because you still have a, your house in L.A. My
1: office is in L.A., right. but I'm really more here than I mm-hmm. am there. But I'm... I just work like as if we're in COVID with the girls in my office, which is fine because we're working on projects that aren't in either. Right. Exactly.
0: you work around the country and, and. So
1: it doesn't make any difference. It's, you know, it's not like old fashioned decorating. People kind of forget old fashioned decorating was just local antique dealers. You had to go to someone's house. You, you might've sketched. It's not the same. I mean, everything is about plan your plan I mean you have to visit it but I re- I don't ha- have to be at my jobs. Right. right. Really yeah, least... very rarely do yeah. I have to go. It's great. I go in the beginning, in the middle and the end.
0: Right. It's great.
1: And then one more to fix all the things that didn't work out.
0: <laughs> and there's always a few, right? Always there's, a few. And then
1: they're they go on for years.
0: Right, right. So Mary, what would you what would you like to see next in your career? Do you want to do I know besides the grotto room, which obviously we hope that happens in some enlightened client calls you and says, I well, want that's to not my, my career.
1: That's just for me. No, oh, okay. I don't even want to. I don't even want to listen to a third party. Get. Oh, okay, about So it. you want
0: your own pure grotto room. Okay. Yeah, I want
1: my own grotto room. That makes no sense because I'm not even near any right. water. But, right. you know, I'm really kind of just enjoying the peace of the country. I kind of wouldn't mind dabbling back into fashion. Like Very maybe doing a little jewelry. Something like dramatic statement necklaces.
0: I could see you would do amazing jewelry pieces. Big and bold.
1: And there's kind of, I feel like there's things that are coming to me that are different than what I've been doing. Not that I want to stop some the things I've been doing, but I'm feeling myself wanting to explore like absolutely new avenues. Like, I actually found myself painting up here. I mean, kind of contemporary, abstract things. Mm-hmm. But, like, I could see myself getting into that just kind of as a decorative painter. But there's things that I'm exploring that aren't necessarily what you would expect.
0: That's great. That, it, that's what keeps you young, you know? And that's, what you, you know, always vital as you're trying new things. Things are coming to you. and And, you know... My sister's very spiritual and she always says, if you put it out into the world, it will come back to you. And I think that you're being open to doing these different things is what's bringing them your way.
1: Well, that's true. You have to be willing to do things without making a business out of it, to just explore it. You can't explore. You can't put the weight on a newborn to be an adult. Like you can't. You can't put the weight on a seed that you're not sure what it's supposed to be. But if you're letting yourself be creative without that weight, you can kind of just discover if it's something you, you know, it peters out or it takes hold and you let it develop into something else. You don't really have a million hours in the day to do like 20 creative things all at once, though. I will say interior design. It is time intensive. It's it's more... It's more management of people and yeah. deliveries, and it's very administrative. Um, even when people are working for you, you—it's it—it everything is like a prototype that has a new problem every job. So, yeah. you know, you have to find a way to juggle that with the people yeah, that work for no you, formula. and then add something new.
0: Yeah, it's not like accounting. There's no formula.
1: Unless your work has like a formula and if you can get that going, great for you. If you can kind of keep it formulaic. I, I mean, I don't even know how to do that because every job I get like, oh, I have a new idea.
0: Right. You, you wouldn't want to do it. That's why it makes you you. Not really. That's so great. Yeah.
1: Not really. Right. But there's well, nothing wrong with it to me.
0: No, but it's great that you're t- trying new things. You're back and forth. You travel. It's that's. What keeps Mary, Mary, I think. And it's, we all look forward to seeing what you're going to be doing next, you know. And Oh, I well, thank to, you. Check, you know, I want, I want all the listeners to look at your new collection and also look at the new El Decor with that beautiful project of yours in the, in the oh, issue. Oh, thank and, you. And, um, you know, this has been enormous fun, Mary. It's always a treat to talk to you. And I so appreciate you being here. Thank you. I want to thank every, all my listeners. I want to thank you for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to The Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word, and we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherished Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.